Welcome to the Untangle and Thrive podcast, where we talk about real problems, real clients, and real solutions. Now here is your host, Angela McKinney. Hi, everyone. I have a special guest with us today. Her name is Frida Ajet, and she is a former public health political operative and lobbyist turned award-winning leadership coach who operates at the intersection of innovation and well-being. She formed Courage to Run, which is an award-winning nonpartisan running series and leadership community committed to being healthy to lead effectively in civic life today. She's also designed and instructs a course on resilient leadership at Stanford University's Continuing Studies. I am delighted to have her with us. Welcome, Frida. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. It's fabulous to be here. And welcome to our listeners. Absolutely. They're going to be so excited to hear from you. Can you please tell them, let's just get started with the story of Courage to Run. Wonderful. So Courage to Run is the nation's has evolved into the nation's premier running series and leadership community devoted to being healthy to lead effectively in civic life today. I uh, just a bit of background about me. I am a former lobbyist, government affairs specialist, county commissioner who t- became a certified international leadership coach and organizational strategist hell-bent on bringing authenticity and wellness to the political class about, oh my goodness, eight eight years ago. And um, one of the initiatives that has evolved from that story is this running series, um, The Courage to Run. Back in 2018, as many may recall, there was a rising wave of women that were stepping up and saying, why not me uh, in terms of running for Congress? And I thought this is a really, this is a BFD. This is a really big deal. We need to do something celebratory and empowering. Anybody that has run or walk a race of any distance knows that there's no, there's no feeling like crossing that finish line. So it became Mm -hmm. abundantly clear whether you're running um, a 5k or toward election day, it takes an elevated set of skills uh, that acutely resemble that of an elite athlete, you know, a winning mindset, a growth mindset, resolience, vision, courage, and very importantly, self-care. So in three Yes. And very, what I love about what you do, Frida, is how you bring those two pieces together, the physical embodiment of running and the courage it takes to, to cross that finish line, as well as the courage it takes to lead into change initiatives or change in your own life, Mm-hmm. Uh, the courage needed to self-lead yourself into a thriving life, as I would say, but uh, that you bring the two pieces together and also you un- unite Democrats, Republicans. It's not a partisan, it's a bipartisan uh, unifying force that you're organizing. Am I correct? Absolutely. It's uh, it's nonpartisan. And that is what has been so wonderful to witness since its inception back in 2018, and especially in 2018, uh, where it was following the 2016 election, uh, partisan divides have become increasingly acute and even more so since that time. And irrespective of who one was, where they lived, how they identified, there was uh, unity in what a significant moment it was that so many women were stepping up and saying, it's, why not me? And we had Republicans, Democrats, independents, Greens, everywhere in between, 
running together in Washington, D.C. We had about 500 people in Washington, D.C., and then satellite runs across the country in 25 states back in 2018, all united in our commitment of very simply celebrating women, being healthy in mind and body, running courageously, which really, Angela, is what you just mentioned, the, the courage to lead, whether that is asserting an opinion, saying yes, saying no, and setting a boundary, leading a team, leading an organization, leading a household, leading a country, and then championing democracy. And it has just evolved and grown in, a, in really interesting and inspiring ways since that time to where we are at the present moment, which is, uh, for obvious reasons with COVID, a 100% virtual run to ensure that participants and their communities remain safe, healthy, and thriving in these very uh, trying times. It's amazing. I got chills when you were describing that because how much, how much room do we need? We we need these kind of structured spaces to remember the common, the, the ability to unite, not to always agree, but there's this greater source of our humanity that can unite and, and organize resourcefully together. And that is where we heal. That is where we thrive, not only in our own life, but in, inside of an organization, inside of a country, inside of a family system mm-hmm. is when we can strengthen that, that in between space of connectedness, right? Of the common, of our common humanity that is really aligned to work together resourcefully. Absolutely. And, you know, when we, it is a basic human motivational need, meaning it is intrinsic in our biology to need to connect. You know, safety and security is one, belonging and relationships, and then meaning. And, And what we have found, and this is even more so right now, where people are sheltering in place, there is an increasing uh, digital divide and distancing. We're Mm -hmm. seeing depression and anxiety rates increase amongst our youth and everyone across the board. I know that uh, calls into the national hotlines around suicide prevention and other mental health concerns have just are a thousandfold uh, from one year past because of COVID and the economic crisis and the uh, the racial reckoning that's taking place. And so it really is about creating and holding a container yes that is uncharged mm-hmm. incredibly positive and invites individuals to 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 enter as they are free of judgment and with open arms and compassion and um and that's what has been really interesting about this year is in the past, it's really the emphasis has been on celebrating women running for office. That has unequivocally been in the foreground. And given the present state, the amount of transition and uncertainty happening, the real feeling of being unseen, which I attribute much of what the dynamics that are going on in the country right now is because of this universal feeling of being unseen and unacknowledged and unappreciated and the pain and the fear and the scarcity mindset that that's uh, catalyzing in us is really putting being healthy in mind and body in the foreground this year. Yes. That is, uh, we're going to see a shadow pandemic happening, you know, in in a year and three years from now from where we are today. And we we really need to be equipped with the the tools, the resources, and importantly, the community to to keep ourselves safe, uh, 
and healthy and, and progressing. So that's the priority right now. Absolutely. And talk more about the skills and resources and things that you see that really work and that help this integration and staying connected mm-hmm. in these um, very triggering times. And very, you know, and, and, and we do know isolation, alienation is, is the driver behind mental health issues, addiction issues, suicide, and mm-hmm. is not feeling a sense of safety and connectedness to belong to anything that, that is meaningful. So tell me, on your end, what are you seeing that's working, that's helpful for people to, um, I know this this Courage to Run is a, is a place for us to come to. What else, what else is helpful? Sure. Thank you for the question. And for a bit of context for our listeners, you know, I mentioned that I, I had kind of that aha moment eight years ago that I wasn't meant to lobby anymore. I was meant to listen. And when I when I made that decision, the response I was usually met with was, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, well-being, <laughs> well-being in the political arena, good luck with that. And, and what I found was the most important thing was making sure that it was evidence-based and it was accessible, meaning it didn't take a lot of time. It could be conducted anywhere by anyone when you need it most. And so for the... For a similar amount of time, I've been researching and developing these these tricks. These I call mm-hmm. them tabatas. Um, tabatas for those of you uh, familiar in in athletics, they are it's circuit training where they are short, high impact, high intensity exercises that you do that strengthen uh, stamina and and strength and resilience uh, with repetition over time. And so I see these practices, I'm going to offer a couple examples that have been the most well-received uh, in just a moment. That's that's why I call them Tabatas. So it's, it's very similar, kind of playing off of the whole metaphor of the courage to run. So, um, and that was really important. High intensity, high volatility, accessibility, high stakes is the environment of the leaders that I work with. And so that was, that was fundamental. Mm -hmm. Uh, The most, the key thing is really about slowing down and with a lot of type A, high intensity, more anxious uh, personality disposition to individuals, that can be the biggest challenge of all. Mm -hmm. And so one, uh, I, I draw a lot from mindfulness. I, I practice meditation and other wellness, uh, other wellness practices. And with the mindfulness, you know, a 16 seconds to clarity where they're just counting their breaths on the inhale for six, holding for four, exhaling for six and seeing where they are then. And just that micro moment of time can improve decision-making, strategic focus, reduce reactivity neutralizing the nervous system Mm -hmm. if they're willing to give me a minute which sometimes even a minute 60 seconds is a big ask taking a mindful minute either setting a timer for a minute and just counting their inhales and exhales on on the exhale and what I often have them do to focus their attention because just the breath is not an anchor enough is when they breathe in, thinking of a word or phrase that describes them uniquely as a leader, and as they breathe out, their greatest contribution to society. Mm-hmm. And just breathing in and out those words. And when the timer sounds, uh, they're, they're done. And it's amazing. You know, they might do the same thing they were going to do before. It's coming from a more balanced place. Yes. And, and they can tell how ramped up they are because – 
about four to six breaths per minute equalizes, neutralizes the nervous system. So there's no right or wrong. If they're at 21, that's, you know, some interesting yeah. data there. So, Absolutely. Um, so those, and then just asking really powerful questions. So a powerful question is a, a succinct question, seven words or less. And it can be, how come? Please tell me more. What do I need? What do I know? What don't I know? What do I need to know? What can I control? What can't I control? Really simple questions. So they get out of their own way. They can unhook the emotional charge. And then also a fan favorite. And this requires perseverance and commitment because it's an ongoing practice is logging three good things each day and sharing them with somebody else for two weeks. And this was found amongst researchers, Martin Seligman, who is kind of the forefather of positive psychology and uh, the, the happiness guru, one of the first presidents um, that brought of the American Psychology Association that really elevated positive psychology, found that when we share three good things and what made them good. So this is different than gratitude. This is a very active practice. Things that, that were good about my day that I did well. Um, yes. It can increase satisfaction, happiness levels, for up to six months thereafter. So that's amazing. Yeah. So little things like that and um, stepping outside for two minutes, just looking at the sky, texting a friend, doing a 90 second clearing exercise, which is basically setting a timer for 90 seconds, inventing and then letting it be. Big mm-hmm. fan of the timers, you can tell. All of these things are evidence-based. They're grounded in science, either to neutralize the nervous system, get us out of that amygdala, lizard brain, fight or flight, and reconnect us to ourselves, our agency, and what matters most. Um, Beautiful. That's so helpful and so, so clear. Thank you for that. And I want to just touch on a couple that you mentioned. The three, I love the three at night. And I, I heard someone recently, I, it might have even been Oprah, I'm not sure, but she was going back through her list of three, which is a ritual she does. And she was saying, you know, I licked my sticky fingers from the delicious orange sherbet. Like she took in these little sensorial experiences with her day. It wasn't high productivity. It was these moments where she allowed herself to really savor some experience that she had that was, you know, that was special to her day. I thought that was so beautiful and so true because sometimes we get so in our head about what we think we should be doing and that should make the list. And we forget these more nuanced, inter-receptive, meaningful little exchanges we have with the bird or with the grass or with taking in the sun or with um, savoring that little mini success of reaching out and calling someone or connecting to someone in a different way. That really want to invite everyone to go down deeper into those nuanced layers of a sensorial experience that you're valuing within that three, within those three things that you're looking for, um, which is very mm-hmm. helpful to my practice. And then also, um, that is sort of the medicine, as I call that sort of tuning in. And I love that these little interruptions of mindfulness, you just shared on how to, how to start and how four breaths really do create a nervous system shift and get us more present and get us more engaged. Um, that to me is so much of the work, right? Of building stamina 
And I love the word stamina. How do we build resilience and stamina to stay more present, to stay more committed into our courageous lives? Mm -hmm. I feel like you speak really to that and help people get a ladder for that um, as far as really building stamina. Absolutely. You know, I've run a few marathons. I encourage anyone thinking about it not to do it over the summer. I made that mistake and ran one in <laughs> 95 degree weather. And I'm like, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. Um, when we think about endurance, right, like running a marathon, any, any, any large goal of substance, it requires stamina. It's nonlinear. There's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be amazing days. There's going to be really horrible ones. And a lot of it is defined by our, our state of mind, just like running. You know, it can be amazing and empowering or it can suck. And um, with, with stamina, it's about taking small, realistic, sustained action to achieve a goal of substance. That is how I define endurance and stamina. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to leadership, when it comes to our own growth, when it comes to growing our businesses, our initiatives, our dreams, the same thing applies. Angela, you really touched upon it. I love and that. Thank you for offering that example from from Oprah, it absolutely so much of the work that I do with leaders and many of the practices that we offer people, the tapatas that we offer people through Courage to Run, both on our Courage to Run app. So if you're an iOS user, please go to the Apple store and download uh, the Courage to Run app. It has a number of these evidence-based practices. It's free to download. And then also we've developed a 5K training plan that's available on our website, couragetorun.org, that has, yes, you know, run and walk a mile, two miles. And then many of these these strategies, these leadership practices that that lean into the being of leadership Yes. versus doing of leadership. And I hope I'm not getting too conceptual. I can get very like existential esoteric. No, that's, that's um, great. The differentiation is wonderful because I think they're two different things. So speak very, more to that. Very different. So the being is really that presencing, that the embodiment, the feeling, the emotion, the attitude, and the aura that you exude as a leader. Mm-hmm. The doing is tactical performance measurable. Mm-hmm. And many individuals that are stepping into leadership, there is an imbalance of the doing. And really the growth and the stretch is in the being. So, which makes sense. Often totally makes sense. People that are promoted or step into that arena, they do so because of their tactical skill, their subject matter expertise, and their success at executing. And yes, that sustains. It's really about expanding the range and one's ability to really lean into and embrace their own vulnerability, uh, their emotional exposure, their risk taking, which is the definition of courage. Yes. That really then defines the exceptional and the courageous. And those that stay in more of a storming period uh, as they're grappling with whatever is getting in their way from truly being within themselves, offering themselves of service and being present. And that, that I'm sure, Angela, you do a lot, a lot of your work is, is centered around the entangling of precisely that, you know, what is getting in somebody's way, naming it, taming it, developing really accessible tools to you know, to then acknowledge it and move on and not get hooked uh, by old stories, old habits, old personas. And that is something to celebrate when it happens. Uh, 
And Absolutely. And the ability to savior is huge because what does that mean? It means that we are present in our present state enough to be able to taste that sorbet, to be able to be sitting down and not checking email or reading a magazine or caught in our head, creating our to-do list or, or reevaluating, oh, I should have said this, or I wish I had said that. And, uh, and then everything about that, where you were sitting, maybe it was sunny, maybe it was cold, maybe you just had your tooth pulled and, yes. you know, <laughs> and, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, and uh, and my experience my experience on that note, Frida, that really layers into that is when we the skill set absolutely produces this c- capacity piece on one level. And what I find with a lot of my executives or high functioning people, without the being receptive, I deserve this, I can receive this, I am I'm worthy of this piece, kind of really being untangled and, and getting their system more available for that receptive being state, they can really get hooked in the storms of that destructiveness of a destructive reenactment. It's unconscious, Mm. but it's powerful Mm -hmm. and um, they don't know how to receive it. And so they overwork it and can destroy as well. And um, it's very painful. It's very confusing. And getting those signals uh, reorganized to secure this being state, this receptive being state is the other capacity piece of stamina that I think we all really need practices to up-leveling our life, to up-leveling our, des- our, our desires for a more thriving life, to come out of the shadows of any hiding, to come out of any shadows, to get more available, to receive our healing, to receive our needs. And, um, and it is a lot about locating them and then getting the courage to ask and, and take it in. And the taking in mm. part is the one we forget. We leave it behind. You know, when you watch a baby, hello, watch a little baby take in the experience of savoring that water or savoring that drink. There's a there's a full titration cycle of registering that they've just taken it in. You know, and we often forget how important that step is of taking mm-hmm. it in, of, of registering how that that water, that cold glass feels on our fingers or how delicious mm. that thing we just smelled was in our inside of our body. So um, we get out of tune with that and, and we have an ability to re-remember it. Um, it, it. It's definitely inside of us. You know, I had an interesting and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hopping because you stimulated so many thinking, so much of my thinking here. But I had an interesting experience in a boot camp class once where I didn't realize, you know, with trauma, what happens is unresolved trauma, we tend to want to leave the body behind. We want to leave things behind and, and, and not feel the pain of those old traumas or those old experiences where we felt humiliated or overwhelmed. And um, with running, right, with the run, with the physical embodiments of being more in our bodies, being more inside of our bodies. And you're right, depending on our mindset, it either can suck or it can be amazing. <laughs> and so I had a coaching session with someone who said, hey, I think it sounds like you, you need to go to a boot camp class. 
And I was a little offended by the feedback that I received <laughs> that I needed a boot camp class. I was kind of like, what? I work with the body. I, I run. I do this. I, I was a gymnast. I was an elite gymnast. I was a professional dancer. I don't need to spend any more time in a gym, you know? But it was so funny because I had such a strong um, visceral response to the request of why don't you try boot camp? Because I was wanting to write this book and I was feeling very victimized by my capacity to find the energy for the book. And I remember because I know so much about trauma and the, um, the neurobiology of trauma resolution. And I understood that my body was holding on to something, but it was still triggering and confusing. But I also realized that this was an opportunity. You know, so often we want to run from our triggers. We don't want to move or lean into them to grow and integrate them more fully in our life. And we tend to want to avoid, you know, I would have you know, just pushed it aside. No, I'm not going to do the gym. But I got my attention. So I went to the gym. And the minute I walked in, Frida, to this gym, I felt so nauseous. The chalk made me want to throw up. The smell of chalk on the on the weights, the clinging of the weights. Made, I had to go to, I had to run to the bathroom, wash my face. I was shaking. My whole body was shaking. So now I really, it really had my attention. What is my body holding? <laughs> like, what is going on? And I, and I, and I recommitted, it was baby steps, but I recommitted to getting into that boot camp class. And it was a hard boot camp class and she was tough. And it took about 20 minutes for my body to start to even get present, to start to enjoy it. And 40 minutes into this class, something really interesting happened, which was I got access to this other part of my system that was so happy to have this aggressive kind of training mm. that I had sort of left it all behind, this deep intelligence that my body knows how to perform really under, under stressful conditions. It started to, it was like a symphony woke up mm. and there was a deep pleasure of hearing into my body's ability to do something that my head was not even available for it wasn't even available for it but i cleared enough noise from the head to to move into that bodied state and it gave me a key it really gave me a key that unlocked commitment motivation energy insight i can do this uh it got me out of the weeds of the victim i have no time my kids are going to hate me my husband's going to got me all out of the weeds of the victim and it has that that one class has kept me moving into my work powerfully different ever since isn't that amazing can you hear me oh yeah no i'm just okay. taking it in <laughs> I, and, and i'm thinking i'm i'm listening and thinking you know angela the thing that came to mind was well there's a lot of things uh, i'm having a parallel mirrored experience over here with thoughts just going back and forth and back and forth and i Apologize, there's some dinging going on on my computer. That's okay. Uh, my husband's texting me probably about my baby. Uh, so I love the metaphor about a baby. Um, is one, what is emotion? Some practices say that emotion is energy in motion. Mm -hmm. And so it can be absolutely transformative. And you're sharing your experience of the visceral, like the truly visceral response that you had when you first went in the fear, the chalk, the smells, the pulsation, the nausea, mm -hmm. and then 
and then pushing through it, stretching ourselves. And that's the key, right? Is yes. we perform at our best. We're growing and we, we get to the point of flow and fulfillment when we're stretched enough that it's uncomfortable, not to the point of duress, because then we're hyperventilating and that's no, that's no good. And so it, it can sometimes be a sweep. It's about, it's about not abandoning ourselves and staying with ourselves just long enough, which might be 40 minutes and might be a matter of seconds yes. uh, to, to, to experiment and see what our range is is and so much for 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 leaders uh for for women leaders and women in general too i would assert that uh, a lot of the our culture is really it 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 celebrates and it rewards the cognitive mm. and rather than the integration of the cognitive and the physical and so much of it is learning to trust ourselves, trust our, and trust our bodies. Yes. And to then follow our feet. And that's sometimes, I know when I was pregnant, that was one thing that I said to myself constantly is like, trust your body, trust your baby, you know, trust your body, trust your baby. Because I personally had lived so much of my time just in my head with a disconnect from body and with the courage to run. What we find is, wow, what is my capacity when I step into and fully embody and am my full range of being. And that includes the mental, the physical, the, um, the spiritual, the relational and social. And um, yeah, no, I, I, so much, so much resonance. And so, I mean, often what I do too with, with my people I'm working with, I'm like, especially now where people have like zoom fatigue and it's like, get up. We don't need to see each other. I love you. You're beautiful. And let's go, let's go do a walk. Let's take a walk. And not only are they getting outside, which improves decision-making, reduces stress, improve, increases cognitive function, a uh, connection to a greater sense of being, which is called awe, you know, something greater than ourselves. It also studies out of Stanford show that it generates up to 60% more ideas for brainstorming and greater idea flexibility, meaning we're more open to, we have more of a growth mindset and, and our, our perspective expands. Uh, and, and personally, personally, uh, you know, I, we, we are where we are because of our personal stories, right? That, that shapes who we are and how we make sense of the world around us. And for me, like I, I'm a very active person. I'm an athlete. And that was something that was weaponized. My body became weaponized. I had a, a, a very vicious eating disorder for 15 years. Exercise bulimia was a big part of it. And, and where was I living? I was living in my head based on a specific, prescription, a specific idea, which was unattainable of who I thought I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to look and a definition of value, which then weaponized things that brought me so much joy, like running and dancing, right? My, my body was something not to be embraced. It was something to, to create distance from. Yes. And, and, you know, through my own process of, of recovery and exploration and a lot of crying, that's for sure. I, I said, God, I remember the first year when I let go of a lot of the behaviors. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've never cried so much in my entire life. And, uh, and that's often what people need. I mean, that's exactly right. You know, <laughs> uh, is like healthy release. Um, yes. And safe, so healthy release. Yes. Healthy release. And so for a lot of leaders, it's about giving themselves permission to engage in healthy release. 
Mm. And what does that really mean? Because when we look at the greatest causes of stress, lack of, of healthy release is one of the four that we actually have control over. One is not having control of the specific outcome, not knowing when things are going to end, and a lack of information. So mm. when we look at the big social lifts right now, uh, you know, yeah, we don't know when, I'm going to use COVID as an example. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine that's effective and when when things will go back to quote unquote normal in terms of how we live and work and play in our day to day. We, uh, the communication, inconsistent messaging, we don't know who are reliable. Uh, many people don't know who reliable sources are and, uh, um, not feeling like we have control over the outcome. There are actually things that we can do, uh, that are consistent and there, what can we unequivocally do? Healthy release, healthy release, right? So whether that's, moving our bodies, whether that's calling and talking to a friend, whether that's crying, whether that's laughing at something silly, whether that's hugging your kids, making, savoring that sorbet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all forms of, of it can be of, of healthy release. And very importantly, Angela, one thing that came to mind as you were talking was, was really the self-compassion. You know, compassion is a, is a, is a word and a, a practice that is getting a lot of uh, acknowledgement right now. Mm-hmm. And self-compassion is a big one. We're acknowledging that things are hard and that's okay because many, many people, many leaders, myself included, this is, uh, you know, I, 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 I always felt when I was growing up, the story was you have to be happy and joyful. Otherwise it, you're, it's wrong, must be wrong, you know? And yeah. so there's a, an avoidance of anger, sadness, disappointment, and then, you know, and then I developed an eating disorder, ta-da! So it's, um, and, and so just the, the ability to either like put your hand on your heart and say, gosh, this is really hard right now. The ability to say, ta-da, or come mm-hmm. up with a silly phrase when you make a mistake and then acknowledge it and move on, mm-hmm. not only results in a more easeful, peaceful, accepting personal experience, it also makes us more effective. You know, when we are feel shame and aren't aren't forgiving and compassionate toward ourselves, we amend our goals, we sandbag, meaning we change, you know, we change what we're striving for because we we are we so need to to achieve what it is exactly that we said we were going to do. It disconnects us from others when really those those challenges are what create the biology of courage and also the currency and the connective tissue uh, of authentic uh, community. Mm. Well said, beautifully said, so clear, so, so true as well. That practice of differentiating, you know, I use this word differentiate a lot to separate out the part of me that goes back in time and rebonds with, with terror or trauma or overwhelm and, and, and lostness. Um, building a compassionate eye towards just that is a part of my system that has can still get tangled up in, in the present. And the more I can differentiate it and have compassion for it, mm-hmm. see it and understand it as separate to my, my wholeness, uh, the woman I am today, the, the woman who can lead into mobility today. Because, you know, often those younger states, they, they didn't have that agency. Um, but mm-hmm. we do today and, and how to differentiate and, and recognize that we do today and that that old system isn't all of our, all of our capacity. It's one part of it. It's a dominant part of it. It can run the show until we really interrupt it and create that, that in between integrated state of consciousness 
to work within our bodies differently, to work within this, this neuroscience differently, uh, this mindfulness differently, so that we are developing, as I say, self-leadership skills to lead ourselves forward in meaningful, courageous ways. And it, and it does look unique to all of us. And I just love that we can get certainty. Like that is a level of certainty that is so helpful in my experience to, to have my, my, the people I work with gather like differentiation, certainty of a process of understanding your system capacity. And also what you just said, certainty of how to discharge, how to get more present. What can you control? Your response, your response to stress, you have control over, you have agency, you have, you can work with it differently. And there's a level of certainty knowing that you, you get to work with it differently. You can't control the outside, but you you can control the way you're um, responding to it and, and choose to start discharging more regularly and rebalancing and recentering to building the stamina of presence, of connectedness within self and then within others. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. love, I love that in terms of the self-leadership. And for anyone that's struggling and you're like, easier said than done. Well, that's true. It is easier said than done. It is very simple. And it also is hot. It's challenging, right? Thank what you. We're, <laughs> yes. we're essentially, we're reprogramming ourselves. So here's a bit of hope and mm-hmm. very practical application. Uh, Angela said self-leadership. When I work with individuals, I, I code them as leader pillars. Like right, what are those foundational unwavering pieces of yourself that you, you want to grow into where well, you're not there yet? And so ask yourself, who, who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? And with brevity, use one word, define it. Ask yourself, what does this really mean in its experience? Living, breathing. And you can be literal. You can use metaphors. So here's an example. I was working with somebody and it was this leader really wanted to be a, uh, a a shining light, a beacon of hope, and like a lighthouse in the dark, irrespective of its storming, norming, what have you, is always there. So this leader chose a metaphor. I am a beacon. Mm. And the intention was really being calm and steady and reliable. So what was what action did she do every day? So ask yourself from there, what is a realistic, achievable micro action, super teeny tiny that I can do every single day that really acknowledges me and builds my capacity as a beacon. So what did she do? She took a mindful minute every day. Hmm. What was her first idea? I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes every day. (laughs) Amazing. Do you have an existing meditation practice? No. Okay. Let's position you for success. Let's start with one minute. You can build up from there. Let's start with one minute. So she knew every day without question, without ambiguity. Did I take a mindful minute today? And if the answer was yes, check. She built her beacon capacity. If not, check. All good. There's learning. There's no right. There's no wrong. What got in the way? Ah, oh, I was impatient. Ah, oh, I didn't have a minute. Really? Did you not have a minute? You know, what, and then the question is, where, how can I embed this into my day-to-day to position me for success? So, I, and I can share this. I was dropping my meditation practice and starting to get zany. So I realized, <laughs> wait a second, where can I find time? You know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. 
you're working, you have kids, you're coordinating with your partner. If you have a partner around childcare, things are getting busy again. Uh, and I realized, OMG, duh, I can meditate while my coffee is brewing instead of checking email, reading the newspaper, and basically getting myself wired before I've even had any coffee. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do. I start the coffee brewing in my French press, and I do a meditation of varying length, uh, depending on where I'm at and what I need for the day, and then it's done, right? So maybe you're sitting in your car as you're going to the grocery store. Maybe it's before you get out of bed. Maybe it's during that time of the day where your energy drops. And, and having some consistency. So really, that's what developing these micro practices means. And, at, and the thing about it, the science behind it is every single day, we generate 1% new neurons in our brains. So if we are doing the exact same practice every day that's positive and generative to build the self-leadership capacity, We literally and neurologically have built a new neurotransmitter, a new pathway in our brains to becoming that quality. Mm -hmm. So if we're saying to ourselves, I can't dot, 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 I'm not dot, dot, dot every day and probably more likely than not more, more than multiple times a day, then and replacing that with I am strong, I am a leader, I am Athena, I am a beacon. I am compassionate. I am a game changer. I am an aerialist. I am a, you know, a, 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 a um, uh, president. You know, you, you, we become that individual and, and see how you are even after 30 days. Yes. So helpful. And I love the little mini micro bite sizing because that to me is that little muscle that starts to engage, interrupt, receive, and build. That's where it. That's where it's at. And that is the. I call that the medicine of healing as well, because it's it's tapping into this this deeper rooted connectedness of of envisioning, embodying, and co-creating. And I call that the creative self, right? The part of us that can. We. That's the part of us that's so thirsty. You know, we talk about an eating disorder. That's the anorexic part that we often so star are so starved from. Um, accessing and tapping into, even if it's for ten seconds when you're standing in line or driving your car, a word, an image, a, a sense of embodying an experience. Um, that you are giving yourself permission to taste, to titrate, to digest, to savor, to to receive, to be with um, intimately. It's beautiful. Thank you for breaking that down. It's so, so helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing the space with me. I really appreciate you and all that you are doing. I'm, I'm so inspired by your work. I'm so... Um, I'm just inspired by who you are and what you do. And um, I'm just very grateful to have you in my life and on this show and for all these listeners to get to, to learn more about you, Frida. So thank you for, for being here. Really here. Appreciate thank, it. 
Thank you so much. And for, for everyone listening, uh, you consider this your personal invitation to join us at the Courage to Run. It's virtual, so you run wherever you are, however you are. Uh, on September 13th, you can go to CourageToRun.org, and it's incredibly simple. You choose yeah. your route. You time yourself if you want to. We mail you a really, I mean, this medal is amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. It's not like a cheesy medal. This is like, I am a civic badass warrior, <laughs> like championing democracy and leading the way medal. And uh, there'll be a starting line ceremony on Instagram. You can fo- start following us at, at the courage to run. And uh, it's a whole lot of fun. We also have a 20 and 20 challenge for those of you that do want to build that stamina and resilience. It's walking or running 20 miles in 20 days. It's not too late to join. And you slice and dice your mileage however you want. Uh, so for both of those, just visit courage to run.org. And very importantly, all proceeds benefit more than 30 diverse organizations that are training and championing the next generation of women leaders in our country that range from young women in high school and college to women of color, LGBTQ, um, uh, I'm trying to millennials and uh, others. And uh, so you can log on and see our, our very rich list of partners on there. And that's another representation that has been so fabulous of the unifying quality of courage to run where we have organizations that are nonpartisan on both sides of the aisle, all united in their commitment of being healthy to best lead our society today. So thanks oh, so much Angela for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the work you're doing. It's really an honor Frida. You have a great day. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out our life skills programs. We take these creative life skills and integrate them into a practice. Check out the details at www.untangleandthrive.com slash program.